Our children should not be placed in any position where their youthful impressions may be affected by association with pupils of the Mongolian race. San Francisco School Board, 1905. Hi, and welcome to the Half a Project Podcast. My name is Becky. Sitting across the table from me is Cedric Sky City. And um, he's being unusually quiet. Well, I usually let you go through the whole intro. I usually don't um, say anything. That was my whole intro. <laughs> you have too many expectations for me. Yeah, that was a powerful intro. Yeah, I pulled it from this article that we will talk about today. But um, so we're recording this episode a couple days after um, a shooting that happened in Atlanta, Georgia, in the United States. And we'll get into that. We'll explain all of that as well. But that incident is what has sparked this episode. So uh, even though we're recording today, you know, more information might come out or there could be a turn of events that happen between now and when this episode goes up a few days later. So speaking to everyone who is living in the future, right? Yeah. Coming to you from the past. Yeah. I mean, you mentioned that we're doing this episode in light of that event, but not only that event, you know, I mean, the past year we've been seeing just tons and tons of upticks in uh, violence against Asian people, specifically in America mm. throughout this pandemic. And I think even the numbers show that the hate crimes towards Asians mm. in America has I don't know, I don't have the number off the top of my head, but it has astronomically increased mm. from where it was prior to the pandemic. Well, this is the crazy thing, because we like to say, oh, during the pandemic, there was a huge rise of anti-Asian sentiment, which is true. But this is an age-old problem mm. of having violence or um, racist biases, discrimination against people of Asian descent particularly, of course, in the United States. And we are going to emphasize that um, because, yes, people of... You know, I really hate lumping all Asians together. Mm -hmm. You know, this is the thing that I feel like when you're talking about race in the United States, I feel like this happens because people who are from Laos or Thailand or Korea or China, so incredibly different, very, very different people, mindsets, way of living, language. And yet when um, people are put into the United States, it's like everyone's just lumped together. Right. Do you see what I mean? Yeah. This I is mean, not really related to the topic. It's just... <laughs> I mean, it kind of is because yeah. uh, I think these attacks, they aren't discriminating against, or I should say differentiating against like Chinese people versus Japanese people. They, you know, mm -hmm. I think these attacks, which are motivated to go after asian looking people they mm -hmm. just attack whoever they feel like is quote-unquote asian yeah yeah so i think it does have a lot to do with what we're talking about today right you know and i'm reminded when i was growing up in my area the the big three asian groups mm. was chinese japanese and korean yes. that's all i you know really heard growing up and i mean there were there were more represented in where i grew up but from my experience like people would just lump everyone together. Mm -hmm. And I think because of that, and it just constantly happened, not only throughout history, but even in my childhood, like people are just like, well, Asians are, you know, 
more or less all the same, right? Right, right. Which is obviously not true. Right. That's right. Um, yeah, and this actually does also include our mixed race listeners because uh, we will also discuss this a little bit more. So I'm kind of teasing you guys to hang on to the end of the podcast. Um, but people who, like you said, there are attacks happening in the United States on people who, quote unquote, look Asian, mm-hmm. right? So of course, we might have some listeners who are white passing or they don't have very strong Asian features. And so maybe they feel like, have I ever experienced this? I mean, what about black you know? passing? Well, yes, like black passing, <laughs> of course. I'm not leaving you out. Um, yeah, and th- th- some people might be asking themselves, like, should I, like, can I call myself Asian enough to speak about these issues? Mm-hmm. Right? Can I also decry this anti-Asian sentiments that are happening when I've never experienced it myself? And um, we'll get into that. We will talk about that in a bit. But I think before we we talk specifically about this event, I think it is important to lay an understanding, a general understanding for everyone to realize the escalation of, um, I guess, yeah, just the escalation from then to today. Right. What has led to this incident? Because if there's one thing we can say for sure about this incident is this is not one off. This is not just a random thing that happened. There was always causes. There is always a reason. And so we want to talk a little bit about what that reason might have been. Right. Okay. And we'll go back. We're going to go way back in time. Yeah. So I guess I'll kick it off. Um, And for those of you guys that uh, just need a refresher on American history, the country was officially established in 1776. Well, you went really way back. <laughs> yes. Uh-huh. And so just a couple of decades after, you start to see, uh, I guess, the introduction. I'm going to assume, uh, don't quote me on it, I'm going to assume this is sort of the first major introduction of immigrants from Asian countries in the 1850s. Hmm. And it started with young men being being recruited as contract laborers from southern China to Mm. come over to the United States and to basically work as miners, railroad builders, farmers, uh, and factory workers and fishermen. So basically, a lot of the jobs that these white Americans at the time did not want to do. Yeah. Well, this is something to point out. People might say like, oh, well, you're just building railroads. You're just working in factories. You're just miners. But do you know at that time how significant that was to Mm -hmm. creating the infrastructure? This American dream of the railroad crossing all the way across the entire United States? Oh, right. On whose backs did this dream become into reality? Who carried the weight of that? Right. Man, you're diving in. I was going to wait for the punch, but Mm -hmm. yes, that's very true. (laughs) Yeah, so, so in the 1850s, you start to see young single Chinese men uh, coming over to work these jobs. Mm. And here are a couple of stats that we pulled from this article that, that Becky mentioned earlier. Uh, they represented, the the young Chinese workers represented 20% of California's labor force by 1870, yeah. so within about two decades. But disproportionately, about 0.002% of the entire U.S. population. Mm-hmm. So one-fifth of California's labor force were these Chinese people, yeah. these Chinese men. And here's the thing. By 1876, there was a depression that hit. Mm-hmm. And uh, at this point, after a couple of decades of the Chinese people doing all of this manual labor, 
really building the infrastructure of the U.S., uh, they began to get accused of basically taking away the jobs of the Americans mm-hmm. at this time. Yes. Conveniently, right? Uh, conveniently. When, when, the, when the country goes through a depression yeah. and people are having a hard time, now you want to blame yeah. the Chinese people for taking away your jobs. Right. Uh, and so as a result, anti-Chinese legislation and violence took full force throughout the West Coast right. at this time. Yes. And this then then led up to, in 1882, the Chinese Exclusion Act. And this was the only United States law to prevent immigration and naturalization on the basis of race. This restricted Chinese immigration for the next 60 years. Um, I visited, what museum was it that I was at? In, the, in Washington, D.C., where you can look at these legislations. Mm-hmm. What is that building called? Uh, it's where the Declaration it, of Independence is also housed. Maybe the, ca- the Capitol? <laughs> oh, no, no, no. Is it, is it the Capitol? No, it's not in the Capitol. <laughs> no, is no. it in the Capitol? Oh, boy, this is embarrassing. Anywho, I went there, and yeah. uh, they have this legislation, um, this act up there. And, you know, there's this hall that you can walk through where you can see um, major acts and the years that they were passed and the description of what they are. And uh, what happened after it. And you know what is very striking as I was walking through that hall? Because they have it on like big screens or papers, you mm-hmm. know, photographs. It's very museum-like. As the years go by, you see at first it starts with, oh, we don't want Chinese people. And then, oh, we don't want Korean people. Oh, we don't want Japanese people. And then it gets farther and farther along the line. And you notice that the anti-immigration, like, okay, now we don't want, we don't want Irish people. We don't want Romanian people. And it's just like, <laughs> how many times are you, you're going to just restrict people for what? Right. It's maddening when I see that. But anyway, it was the thing that I noticed. It was almost like they're going through every single shade humanly possible. Sure. Yeah. It's very hypocritical when you really think about how America really started, but we won't go there. Yeah. So, um, you know, as you mentioned, they passed the Chinese Exclusion Act and the immigration declined from 39,500 in 1882 to only 10 in 1887. That's so crazy. for the next 60 years, you yeah. don't have Chinese people coming into the country. Mm-hmm. So instead you start to have other Asian immigrants yeah. take their place for that time being. And so in 1885... Which, by the way, yeah. isn't that weird? Because it's like, oh, they're stealing all our jobs. Right. And now it's like, oh, no, who's going to do these jobs? Because we mean, don't want to do it. I we're think, too good for them. I would imagine things are probably getting a little bit better by that time. So, sure. you know, they're too good to do those jobs. Right, right. Anyway, <laughs> so uh, you start to see young Japanese laborers and a small number of Koreans and Indians mm-hmm. as well coming over. And at this point... Uh, in anti-Japanese legislation and violence soon followed and culminated with the 1907 Gentlemen's Agreement mm-hmm. uh, between the U.S. and Japan, which restricted Japanese immigration. So right. there you go with the restrictions mm-hmm. with the Japanese. That's right. Yeah. Okay. And now we have, uh, again, so the early 1900s, we have the Russo-Japanese War happening and uh, Imperial Japan's occupation in Korea. Mm-hmm. So at this time, we have Korean immigrants coming to the U.S. working as strike breakers, railroad builders, agricultural workers. Um, And a lot of Korean immigrants suffered racial exclusion in the United States and also the Japanese colonization that was happening at home. Um, And so this was obviously, this is not a very um, ideal situation, let's say. But we do know that there are some very remarkable Korean 
patriots at this time who were settled in the United States who really fought for Korean independence. And you should listen to our March 1st mm-hmm. episode to learn more about those people. But here is then, yeah, we're going to start seeing small numbers of Korean immigrants coming on over to the United States. Right. But then by 1924, the U.S. goes ahead, with the exception of Filipino nationals, mm-hmm. all Asian immigrants are fully excluded by law. Right. So they were denied citizenship, naturalization, and also, no surprise here, prevented from marrying Caucasians and owning land. That's right. Yeah, so so now at this point, with the exception of Filipinos, because uh, I think at the time, uh, the Philippines was already annexed by the U.S. Yeah. as a result of the 1898 Spanish-American War. Right, right. And so there was already a connection there. Uh, so the Filipinos... Uh, started to, I think, really come in. And then mm-hmm. you start to see a- an increase of Filipinos in the U.S. Yeah. But I mean, we know that that can't last, right? Of course. Because there was another depression. Remember, we Duh. know in the 30s, 1930s, there was a depression. So when this intensified, there was anti-Filipino violence. And so then another act was passed in 1935, which would place an annual quota of 50 on Filipino migration. So basically denying their entry to the u.s right yeah yeah and so world war world <laughs> i can't even say that word do it again world so. <laughs> world is that how you say it? world world war two ww2 oh yeah uh-huh. right uh so after this time so we're talking about the 50s and 60s the u.s pretty much remained discriminatory towards Asian immigration mm. until 1965. Mm-mm-mm. And this is in correlation with the civil rights movement yeah. where the U.S. eventually established a non-restrictive annual quota of 20,000 Im- immigrants per country yeah. of immigration. Right. Right. So this allowed for large numbers of Asians to come to the U.S. as families at this point. Mm. Yeah. And uh, you, you, at this point, you start to see more Filipino, Korean, Chinese, and South Asian populations grow. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's uh, very fascinating just the way that there's this push and pull that happens. It's like, you know, Asian workers, immigrants can slide under the radar and take up the cheap labor jobs until the quote-unquote rightful owners of these jobs suddenly want them because the economy is not doing well. So they point the finger, ah, you stole our jobs for all these years after all the hard work you've done. We're going to take them back. Mm. And then that happens, the ebb and flow. Um, and then we're seeing during the Cold War, We knew this was a time where the U.S. wants to be a great global world power and they were going head to head with the Soviet Union. And so they're encouraging the influx of engineers and scientists wherever you might be coming from. And so it's just this this strange hypocrisy that we're seeing throughout history. And uh, and then, of course, during this time, we're seeing more immigration that's happening thanks to what you had mentioned earlier, the non-restrictive annual quotas. So um, now this is more what I'm more aware of. Of course, the past legislation I'm not entirely, I wasn't aware of before I read this. Um, But now we see like the Korean War is happening. Okay. Mm -hmm. And um, this is where American soldiers going over to South Korea and uh, GI babies and all of this. And then we talk later on about the Homecoming Act and those kind of things. And then we also had the Vietnam War happening and, um, and then World War II, of course. And every single time we have these moments of, let's say, uh, distress, there is a need or rise for a scapegoat. We definitely know what happened during World War II to Japanese Americans, those internment camps that happened 
or um, anti-Vietnamese sentiment. It always seems to rise out of uh, almost the United States insecurity mm-hmm. or lack of understanding of what their real identity is, which is a country of immigrants. Right. Totally. And so, so at this point, we're pretty much in modern history, right? And there are a couple of things that I want to note. Mm. And uh, I, I just want to say this. When you take a high-level look at the history and the timeline of Asian American immigration and discrimination, here's a few things that you're going to notice. Number one, mm. the foundation of the U.S. was undeniably built on white supremacy mm. and the need for power, which justified the strategy or their strategy of building up a country on the backs of immigrants mm. and that be be it Asians or even black slaves, mm. right? So this country was really built upon the backs of immigrants and the, the U.S. literally used the Asian immigration or immigrants and abused them. So mm. that's this is something that I just want to, at a high level, just note again because this is something that I did not learn in my history right. classes, right, in my right, history right. courses, all right? So, um, and they were basically used whenever it was convenient mm. and blamed when things were going wrong. Yeah. So I see this convenience factor play out time and time again mm-hmm. because whenever it's stuff that you don't want to do or the dirty labor, you get someone else to do it. Yeah. And it's a power play. Yeah, yeah. It, it literally is. It is much easier to to uh, point out um, an individual or group of individuals who are very different from you. You can't understand them well. It's much easier to look at this person who's glaringly different from you um, and blame them for problems that are too complex or uncomfortable for you to unravel yourself or understand. Case in point, the Holocaust. Mm -hmm. This isn't something that's just happening in the United States. Historically, this has happened in countries all over the world. And, um, And we see that when Germany was going through their severe depression after World War I, who did they choose to blame? Jews or people who are, quote unquote, the non-Aryan race. Why? Because it's so much easier to blame those who do not have a voice or power to stand up than to look at yourself and try to solve this issue that you've got. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, let me let me just say one more thing. In the 60s, uh, once the U.S. started to be a little bit more open with Asian immigration specifically, mm-hmm. I don't know if you noticed, but I, I get this sense that the U.S., has this ego thing of, you know what, we're doing you guys a favor. Come on in. We're, we're going <laughs> to uh-huh. let X amount of you guys in every year, but yeah. we're, we're doing you a favor. Mm-mm-mm. When in reality, it was, again, the, the immigrants that really brought America to where it is today. Mm. Yeah. That's true. So it's, it's a little, uh, it's, it's very disturbing, and it's also very frustrating to see this play out even to today. That's I mean, right. this is still in the political discourse even till today. Yes, yeah. it absolutely is. We see that um, we have to acknowledge that there is the reality of Western colonization, that Western powers, um, let's say, I don't want to point fingers, but anyway, Western powers did colonize other countries, other people groups, and there was unequal power balance. This happened especially in Asia. And then, of course, the U.S., as it was growing and they wanted to achieve their manifest destiny westward, expansion and development, 
They needed cheap labor. So where are they going to get that from? And then we had um, social policies and just the public attitudes that were happening because people didn't understand. They didn't know about Asia or Asian people. And then there were these racist notions of white superiority that have been here from day one. We know that as well. Mm -hmm. And so all of these culminate to a very deep-rooted, let's say, mm, sense of, yes, inequality and bias against Asians. Right. And I mean, not just Asians either. So we know that the United States, the way that the system and the way the history is, it's already built on the premise that white is better. Right. Yeah, and, and there's this mindset that still exists today that America is the norm, very egocentric. Mm, 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 mm. And in this context, Asians, they're exotic or they're different. I see where you're going. Yeah, uh -huh. yeah. So I think this also uh, really adds to the problem, this sort of mindset and this sort of egocentricism mm. that you think that you're the better country or your culture is better or you're normal, therefore everyone else is not. Yes, that's right. Because once you start thinking that way, you inevitably put in... Um, there's just the scales of balance are tipping. Mm -hmm. You feel like if you consider yourself as better... There's no way you can help but to consider someone else as less than you. Exactly. And this is where the problem begins. Because when you start thinking that somebody is less than you, then one, they're not deserving of your respect. And worse, they're deserving of your, um, of your rejection, as if they're deserving of your disgust of mm -hmm. them. Because you already consider yourself to be at a higher level. Now, something I do want to point out, especially because we do have listeners who are not Asian, Mm -hmm. Right. Maybe we have some white United States citizens who are listening to our podcast. And by no means when we are decrying the racial injustices and the unbalanced system that we see in the United States, by no means are we pointing our fingers at you mm -hmm. and saying you caused this. Right. This is not a competition. Right. You know, of who has it worse. It's not that. But this is really a time for us to have our eyes open. And sometimes the truth is very unpleasant right as in fact it has been for me doing all of these studies yeah and so this is what our hope is that we can finally understand because we need people who are outside of these minority groups who do have a voice and who do have power to make change right and the thing is we have to talk about these uncomfortable topics that quite frankly, most minorities in the U.S. are very used to talking about. It's a familiar topic, but I think for a lot of people who have who come from a place of privilege, and again, you can't help how you were born or right. what you were born into. So we're not blaming you for mm -hmm. that. But when you come from that position, it may be uncomfortable for you to hear this, or you might even be in denial, which is understandable. But what we're saying is, number one, we need to have these discussions because history keeps repeating itself, and yeah. we're seeing the same things happen for hundreds of years. Mm -mm. It's manifesting in different ways. But number two, we're just asking you to just open your mind and just to consider everything that not only us, but just people who are, you know, there are people who, uh, who cry out louder than us, right, about mm. these issues. We're asking you to listen to them, listen to what they have to say. Even if they're, they're very frustrated or even angry, mm. at least take the time to listen. And I think that's where change can really start. It's with the education, but also the knowledge of, of or I guess not the knowledge, but actually 
not denying it anymore mm. and accepting the reality of not only our history, but our present. Mm-hmm. And so again, we're not blaming, we're not, you know, criticizing per se, we're criticizing the history, mm. but just, just have an open mind. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And then I think from there, we can begin to see, I guess, the light at the end of the tunnel of some sort of change happening on a grand scale, Mm -hmm. which we have not seen yet in Mm -hmm. America. That's what we're saying. You know, it's funny that we have, um, we're bringing up this issue of anti-Asian sentiment that is appearing in the United States. And the thing that I think makes a lot of, um, at least some friends that I've seen or talked to, very frustrated about this is because this conversation you and I are having right now is a conversation that is happening on the daily. Yeah. And yet... It took a shooting to make people talk about this publicly. Mm-hmm. Really? It's like, were you not listening? Didn't you listen when we said we are not the virus? Didn't you listen when you said Asian people don't spread coronavirus? Isn't that ignorance? Don't call me Kung Flu. You weren't listening, were you? And now did it have to take this shooting and then this false national outrage? Mm-hmm. Oh, how dare people do this to Asian Americans? We need to stand up and protect our neighbors. Where were you before? And the thing that's haunting is what I'm saying now are echoes of not just Asians, but our brothers and sisters who are black, brown, everybody who is a minority in the United States. If this is your first time hearing us say these kind of things, you should be listening a little bit closer. I'm sorry, my heart is beating right now. No, that's good. Uh, Because I was thinking too, like, as I was reading this article that we are um, uh, pulling a lot of information from, here I was saying that in between 1910 and 1940, immigrants who were coming from China into the United States would be getting humiliating medical examinations and detailed interrogations Uh, to prove (laughs) that they could come to the United States. And one of the questions that I saw was, um, what are the birth dates of each member of your family? Do you remember when I told you I visited the United States two years ago? And I was asked that. Well, I wasn't asked that, but the family. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you remember remember that? that. At the airport. Mm -hmm. I was at the airport. Customs. Mm -hmm. Customs, that's the word. Mm -hmm. I was at Customs, and uh, I was visiting the United States, And there was a family in front of me. It was the dad. He was Chinese. And his two kids who spoke perfect English. He did not. And uh, there was a mom, and I know this because of her interrogation, the lady, at customs. And she looks at the dad, checks his passport, which is Chinese, checks the kids, which is American. And she was just like, where's mom? And (laughs) she doesn't even know if he's divorced or if she's passed. Nothing. She just says, where's mom? And he goes, oh, um, she's already here. We're going to go see her. And then uh, she goes, are these your kids? And he said, yeah, this is my son. This is my youngest. He's being very polite. And um, obviously, he's not speaking in perfect English. Mm-hmm. And she goes, oh, yeah? What's his birthday? And he's like, uh, uh, you can see he's flustered. Says the kid's birthday. And then she looks at the kid who's like seven and says, is that true? And it was very, for me, it was, it was very uh, humiliating for him mm-hmm. to, to witness that. And so I, I was kind of eager to see, what is she going to say to me? Because I know she's going to look at me and think something different before she sees my U.S. passport. And it's true. She lets him go. And then I come over and she looks at me first. She looks at the passport. She looks at me back and forth a couple of times. 
And then she says, you live here? I said, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I live in mm-hmm. Korea. What am I going to say? I said, yeah, I live here. She just says, have a nice day. Right. Isn't that bizarre? Yeah. And it happens on the daily. This is the thing. This was 1910, 1940. Right. And I was like, this is the regular life. Have we not learned anything? Right. And uh, this goes to show just how deep-rooted this is in our society, in this country, in the systems. And this is one manifestation of what we are talking about when we say systemic racism or even a system based off of white supremacy. Because my man was not white. He was obviously Chinese. He had, I'm assuming, mixed kids. Mm. Uh, But to think that he or his kids doesn't belong here or there's something different or something out of the ordinary with him just based off of appearance alone, you know, that that just goes to show and that just sort of confirms the point of what we've been saying, how the system is has been built. And it's just deep-rooted. It's so deep. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of strange, too, that we have this, like, um, a fear of those who look different from us. But who has created that fear? Why was that... Why, why is there um, these almost implicit biases that exist i'm not going to name it out loud but i guarantee you if you think of a certain race of people you can come up with negative stereotypes but where are those coming from where have those stemmed from from people who are in power from people who want to control things who sensationalize who scapegoat people Mm. because fear is a tactic and a way to control and so why would he not belong in the united states right What's what's his intent, really? What was that man trying to do? Right. And yet the initial reaction is one of fear or suspicion. And that has just been played up over hundreds of years in the history of the United States. So we laid down sort of the, the wider panorama upon which we are playing this twisted theater. And now let's narrow in a little bit more as we're going to reach the the incident uh, that has sparked this whole discussion. Let's talk about the fetishizing of Asian women. I think um, this is important to discuss because it is it is a factor whether or not you believe the shooting was out of uh, quote unquote sex addiction or uh, racial intent. Okay, so we have the fetishizing of Asian women. This is uh, clearly seen through media movies, literature, um, just regular conversation. Mm -hmm. The things that I hear (laughs) very regularly and face, as do many of my sisters. Um, Asian women are very often fetishized, hypersexualized. They're seen as docile and submissive. I bet you could ask a lot of people, why do you like Asian women, right? Oh, because they're so submissive. It's this weird trope. That has been played out. Right. I mean, if you really know a Korean mom, <laughs> you'll know that she's not submissive. <laughs> okay. They're called tiger moms for a reason. But, um, and also like, especially in the U.S., you're going to see this happening on one hand. And then it doesn't help that the system is uh, not allowing for women to get jobs that are quote unquote proper. So you will then find women who are of Asian descent, who want to come to the U.S., who want to live a better life, are then delegated to working in sex industry, let's say. Mm -hmm. 
not everyone's choice is to be a prostitute. And um, this, however, when we start seeing this trope happening, and then actually Asian women having to work in the sex industry, it only reinforces this concept that Asian women can be fetishized, that they're simply reduced to sexual beings. Right. And there are people, particularly from the Western world and particularly men, who would even argue, well, isn't it like that in their home country? Mm. Because I can go to X country, right? I won't name countries per se in this uh, particular episode, but I can go to this country and I could pick up a woman in mm-hmm. a red light district. Right, right. And I can easily, even though in most countries it, it is illegal, it's everyone knows it's going on. Mm-hmm. It's, it's a very profitable industry. And so, you know, a lot of guys from the Western world have this mindset of, well, it's okay because that's how it is in their country. And I can go to their country and I have gone to their country and I'll do the sex tourism. It's fine. You know, they're okay with that. They're happy to to serve me mm-hmm. in that way, mm-hmm. right? So I think that also further feeds into this sort of fetishizing, fetish- <laughs> <Yes>. fetishizing, <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, of the Asian women, yeah. um, which is very harmful as you could, um, as you, you will see as, as, as it is the current narrative of mm. the shooting. Even if we, we narrow it down, we don't even say all Asian women or all countries, blah, blah, blah. Even just narrow it down to Korea, where we have half Korean children that were born because of American GIs and Korean prostitutes, whether they chose that route or not. And then the result, half Korean kids who were many times abandoned or abused by their fellow countrymen, having no place to belong. This, you really think this is the result of women who are very happy to serve American soldiers in such a manner? Right. So we we need to ask ourselves, then why is this happening? And I really do think if we're going to talk about um, in the the scope of uh, geopolitical conflicts, that yes, oftentimes a result of war an invading army or um, people from the U.S., American army, building bases in the Philippines and Japan and Korea, there is um, always a rise in prostitution or brothels because, let's face it, that's capitalism, isn't it? Mm. Because in Korea, let's say, so poor, these American soldiers are willing to pay this money, so the women, this is supply and demand. Come on, guys, it's just capitalism, right? And so then this is just furthering and encouraging this idea of sex work. And it's just furthering this denigrating stereotype of Asian women, cheap, disposable, economically vulnerable. So when we have the thing that's been kind of, kind of crazy to see about this attack is uh, some people might even say like, oh, well, they chose to work there. So they had it coming, did they? Because they're working in a place like that, they deserved a shooting. They deserve to be attacked. You maybe need to check again yourself. How do you value these women now? Yeah, you need to check your humanity. <laughs> no, seriously. I yeah. mean, what, you know, who has the right to, to, to even feel that way as a human being to think that something like even prostitution, let's, you know, worst case scenario 
is deserving of a shooter killing you、hmm. when you're just trying to make your honest buck. You know, that speaks to a bigger issue in the hearts of people.、Mm-mm. That's right. Yeah, yeah, that's a fair point. And、um, I guess we can bring into,、uh, I guess we should talk about the attack itself then, right? Yeah, yeah.、Mm-hmm. We can、uh, tie it in for sure. Okay.、Um, you know, because this attack was on the 17th. So. Was it 17th? I thought it was 16th.、Uh, it might have been 16th. Okay. Sorry.、Um, but around that time, so just a couple of days ago at the time of this recording,、uh, where a 21 year old white man,、uh, He actually goes to different locations, different spa locations、uh, in the Atlanta,、uh, Georgia area in the suburbs, and he shoots up、uh, different, a total of eight different people died、mm. from these incidents, six being of Asian descent.、Mm-hmm. And、um, yeah, he was apprehended. But what makes this. Uh, I mean, that in and of itself is sad, but what, what makes it even worse is just some of the narrative that came out of it and just how、uh, the initial reports, especially from the sheriff's department,、mm. uh, what came out. Basically, I have the quote. Yeah, I have quotes too.、Okay. But yeah, why don't you, <laughs> you want to jump in、uh, with a quote? Well, the sheriff's office spokesman said, quote, The suspect was pretty much fed up and kind of at the end of his rope. Yesterday was a really bad day for him, and this is what he did. It's,、uh, it's almost humorous to see how、um, twisted these individuals have to go to make allowance for this kind of behavior. I've had bad days. You've had bad days.、Mm-hmm. We have never committed violent acts、right. upon any other individual. Right. Yeah, and this is、uh, Captain Jay Baker of the Cherokee County Sheriff's Office,、mm-hmm. who, after that press conference, was no longer permitted to speak on behalf of the Sheriff's Department. <laughs> yeah, <right. laughs>、um, you know, a lot of backlash.、Yeah. And, you know, the world of netizens can be uh, uh, just an, a, a very toxic world. Oh, it's, it's like an ocean of piranhas out there. <laughs> yes, <laughs> totally. Yeah. But in this particular instance, the netizens sort of.、Uh, Swooped in.、Uh, yeah, they swooped in and they, of course, did some digging on Mr. Jay Baker's、uh, Facebook from his post about a year ago.、Uh, and this is、uh, a post that I'm, I'm looking at it right here. Basically, he had a couple of posts where he was talking about a t shirt that he purchased. And、uh, one of his posts on April 2nd, 2020 says, Love my shirt.、Uh, get yours while they last. And this shirt basically says, COVID 19. Imported virus from China, just playing off of the Corona, the actual Corona beer branding.、Mm. And, and additionally, the way China is written, you look at it, you can hear the voice in your head. You know exactly who said that. Exactly. Exactly. So he had a couple of posts like this. Of course, they're no longer up,、mm. has、uh, since been deleted. But that shows you、uh, just, you know, I don't want to make just assumptions, but it's quite clear. You know, this guy is obviously racist or has a racial bias and was not the one qualified to host this sort of press conference to speak on behalf of a shooter like this. Yeah. Because now it just kind of makes sense why he would say what he said. Right. So then, what did they say was the reason for his、um, poor behavior? 
Well, he was, uh, he had a sex addiction. Mm -hmm. And uh, so basically what he told the officers is he had a sexual addiction and frequently visited spas and he wanted to eliminate them Mm -hmm. as a source of temptation Mm -hmm. because he was a evangelical Christian or was at least member of a Christian church. Mm -hmm. And so I guess in his twisted mind, he was doing good by eliminating evil. My blood is boiling. Yeah. Now, we cannot, I think... um, separate and i'm i'm going to be quite cautious here we we cannot uh let's see <laughs> we can't really separate this bizarre and i would say m- mutated um close what's the word like meshing of white supremacist attitude and i want to say quote unquote Christian values. Now, this is not to say if you are a Christian, you are a racist and you hate people and blah, blah, blah. But we have seen more often than not that um, this very strong belief in certain (laughs) biblical passages, picking and choosing. Interpretations. Interpretations, thank you. Seems to give people the right to behave atrociously and commit terrible crimes because you might think that because you believe that you believe a God, that you have some sort of power or right to, to commit crimes against fellow man. Now, um, if you've listened to our podcasts, you're probably aware that I'm a Christian and you are a Christian. Right. We ascribe to that. But um, I'm not sure where this, how his behavior and his uh, reasonings fall under biblical teachings. I am at a complete loss. And the fact that the church has somehow allowed this to happen, again, I can't put blame on individuals or say you guys did this all as a whole yet why are we seeing this again and again and again and why is it okay to say he had a bad day and a sexual addiction therefore he wanted to eliminate evil right you will never ever hear a cop like that speak about a black guy who did the same thing right in the same way right it's almost or saying, even an like, asian guy oh he had this failings please forgive him He was trying to do the right thing, the good thing. In whose mind? In whose mind? So the shooter wanted to rid of uh, evil temptations. So I think that if uh, even if we're going to have to turn an eye on this issue of white supremacist attitudes and anti-Asian sentiments that are already brewing inside the United States and the, the modern current culture, also on top of that, I do think that churches need to be turning an inside eye as well and say, did we allow this to happen? Did we, did we think his only escape from sexual addiction was to go and kill those that he placed the blame on for tempting him? I think the church really should ask that hard question of themselves. Right. Yeah. So we see that this has happened. And uh, all of... 
all of this, now people are speaking up. Check in on your friends. Check in on your Asian friends. It's so lovely and nice. But I wonder too how long this will last. And uh, this is sort of an extra word I'd like to throw out to, to my Asian friends or those who have been hit particularly hard by this incident. Because I know that many people have. No doubt, undoubtedly. Um, but I also have to just, just beg the question. Um, when, when you see somebody who doesn't look like you or doesn't have your last name, or you couldn't imagine in your mind, that could have been my mom or my sister or my auntie. When you see this kind of hate crime happen to them, do you feel that same stir of compassion? Do you feel also like, wow, that's my brother, that's right. my sister? Do you? And uh, this, the reason I bring that up is because I've been asking myself, I'm really checking myself on this, because with the Black Lives Matter movement, I think it's very easy to segregate in this case. Mm -hmm. Oh, this is what black people in America deal with. We support you. But where's that compassion really for change? And then now this happened and my Asian siblings, brothers and sisters are seeing that, like, wow, that could have been my mom. Yeah, well, George Floyd could have been your brother, could have been your uncle. It's really hard to make someone really feel compassion when you're not in the shoes. And that's why this is such a hard, hard thing to, to change and eliminate in the U.S., I mean, there's so many nuances to this. I mean, the fact that perhaps we're so used to hearing about the violence that has been disproportionately ha been happening to black people in, for, for one example, all the police violence, the police brutality, perhaps people as a whole are just sort of, oh, that's the way it is, and they're just so used to it, but then even though Asian, anti-Asian hate has been going on, you know, for over a hundred years, as we already uh, covered, it hasn't been as mainstream. Mm. And so maybe this is just more of a novice thing and more of a shocking thing. Why? Because Asians are usually the quiet, the quiet groups the that quiet just kind of, yeah, they, they're, they're the model minority. Mm. They do their jobs. They own their, their nail spas and their dry cleaners. And they don't bother anybody. They're very quiet. But it's the black people who always, you know, raise a fuss, blah, blah, blah. Could it be that the nation as a whole is sort of desensitized mm. and just used to a certain type of violence and certain types of news that come out? Mm -hmm. I think there's just so many nuances to the problem here that it's hard to attribute to one reason or another. But... One thing that I, I will say is this is a, I hate to use the word wake-up call because we have so many wake-up calls. Yeah, at this point, this is not even a wake-up call. Right. But if I could just use the word for the, the context of mm. what I'm about to say, let this be a wake-up call to literally check our own hearts and to see if we look at other people with the same degree of respect mm. And humanity as we look at ourselves and our own people group and the people that looks like us. Because if it doesn't hit home when we see... I mean, the thing is, we saw a video of a black man for almost nine, nine minutes having a foot on his neck. Mm. We saw that. We can't erase that image out of our minds. But what about all the other people that we don't have the footage for, that mm. we hear about, right? Do we feel the same sense of, of hurt by those situations you know 
as we do with our own people group, right? So, so I think this is a good time for us to really just check our hearts mm. and to examine on the inside, Mm-mm. how do we look at other people? Because I'm not going to lie, I've had moments in my life where I probably looked at other people as different. And by different, I mean negatively, mm-hmm. right? Um, and I'm no longer that person, thank goodness, but that's just sort of the product of my environment at the time. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So I think it's good to check your heart. Yeah. And I really do believe that there is room for change for anyone. Yes. Even, you know, people can disagree with me, but even the darkest of hearts can even change. It might take a little more time. Mm-hmm. But I think if everyone just begins to really look at themselves and to examine where they are and how they look at other people, then we could start to really progress forward because the way I see it now, and I'm just being quite honest, not negative, at least I don't think, but I'm being honest, is I don't see massive scale change happening anytime soon. Mm-hmm. Why do I say that? Because for hundreds of years, we've been going through the same thing mm. with, with the African-American community. Mm-mm-mm. You know, so I'm, you know, I just, what's it going to take for, for change to happen? You know what I mean? Is it, is it going to, you know, are a couple of hashtags and posting about, you know, one or two posts on your Insta story about what happened, you know, with the, with the Atlanta shooting, you think that's going to really change everything? No, I mean, it's a good thing, Mm. but what happens after that? Yeah. You know what I mean? What happens after you donate money to different organizations? Yeah. So I guess what I'm what I'm asking is what's it going to take for change and I just think that beyond just Asian people speaking out mm-hmm. beyond just black people speaking out on behalf of black lives matter it's going to have to take white people speaking out checking themselves and looking in their hearts and also speaking out on behalf of other groups yeah it's going to take everybody and it's going to take a lot of noise for, for any sort of change to happen, in yeah. my opinion. And that's kind of where I am. Just sort of wanted to, to throw that out there, mm. uh, just for something for us to think about. Mm-mm-mm. Because I am hopeful that things can change. But the reality is we've been going through this for so long. Yeah. You know, when, when are we going to really start to see change yeah. on a systemic level? And that's the... That's the mystery there. I would like to point out that there is a difference between ignorance and willful ignorance. Now, you cannot blame a child for behaving badly if they've never seen the error of their ways or faced the consequences. But let's say this has happened. They've seen the consequences. They recognize the hurt that happens. They see that those around them are being... Um, abused in some way or some fashion and you do not do anything to stand in the way, this is now willful ignorance if you are stating there is not a problem. We have the social media, which is an incredible tool, very dangerous tool, of course, to our trolls out there, but it is also a very valuable tool. And so it has opened up a lot of dark spaces, I think, in, in society, as we see with Mr. Jay Baker and his Facebook post. Without social media, we would never have known that that was actually his sentiment. Right. Once you are aware and you refuse to change and you refuse to believe there's an issue, you refuse to study, you refuse to check yourself and say, there's no problem, I can't see, I don't see color. That is now willful ignorance. 
and you have become the problem. We want to emphasize that um, when things like this, racial conflicts happen, it is very easy to sensationalize it. But we also want to more than sensationalize or, or blow a spotlight on this. We all know, we're all aware. We would like to now emphasize and put a spotlight on the racial collaboration that is happening. Black folks helping out Asian folks, vice versa, showing support, minority groups working together on the grassroots level. And just like you said, we are asking for everyone to be a part of that. Because don't you want a healthier society? Nobody can live in their little bubbles anymore. We're integrated now, guys. You and I are a perfect example of that. <laughs> and that yeah. brings me to mixed Asians. Do I have a right to talk about this? Do I have a right to feel outrage? Do I have a right to say, oh, someone check in on me. This is really hurting my feelings, so I don't know, I'm scared. Um, I think it's pretty apparent by how we are talking about this, that you, you do have a right. Not only having a racial you know, stake of claim into this, like me too, I'm also Asian, therefore I can feel something about this. Like we just said, this is not about you being Asian, having a right to speak up. If you are not Asian, we need you to speak up. You should speak up, because it shows you have compassion and you view individuals as no better and no less than you. Yeah. I couldn't say better myself. We need everyone to speak up. And if you need that extra validation as a mixed person, yes, please do speak up. You have a right to feel the way you do. I, I've been sort of off the last few days too, very emotional about a lot of stuff, including this. Uh, and to be honest, I haven't completely processed everything, but that's okay. I have a right to feel this way. And so do you. So with that, I think... Uh, be empowered to to know that you have a voice in this. And even if you're not Asian, just from a human level, hmm. please do feel the way that you feel. It's okay to be sad. It's okay to mourn. It's also okay to be angry. But at a certain point, we have to move forward and, and figure out solutions on how to move forward. And it's going to take everyone. Okay. Well, since you said it's going to take everyone, I guess it's time for listener mail. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't see the, the, the correlation there, but yeah, let's there, go. With there's it. a correlation. <laughs> All right, guys. Well, uh, thank you for listening in so far. And also, thank you for your listener mail. We love to get listener mail for you guys. So, from our last episode about language, we got a lot of really great messages, but I'm just going to read out two here. Uh, here is one from. Malako, and I looked at how do you pronounce your name. It seems the H has a sound to Malako, but um, I, I hope that's correct. All right, hi. I discovered your podcast a few months ago on YouTube, and I've been listening to your shows ever since. I wanted to send a message regarding the Language Matters podcast that you just put out. Although I'm not Korean or happy because I myself am a foreigner living in Korea, I found myself looking at all the situations that you mentioned with a completely new lens. What you said about the comments and how a non-Korean would view it versus someone who is Korean was so spot on. It really opened my eyes to how others are affected by these comments, so thank you for that. I also found myself thinking about how many long-term foreigners that can speak Korean fluently and know the culture have also said that no matter how long you spend in Korea and invest in the culture, you'll never be seen as part of Korean society. Anyway, thank you again for what you do. Your podcast is super helpful, and as an African girl living in Korea, it's opened my eyes so much to other people's experiences. All the best. That is a great 
uh, message. Thank you so much for that one. Here's our other one from Claudia. Hello, folks. It's so nice when people call you folks. Hello. Right? I'm a folks. I'm a folks. All right. Just wanted to let you know that I really enjoy your podcasts. They're entertaining and thought provoking. Just want to confirm your comment that as a non Korean, non mixed person, there is still a lot of information in your shows that anyone can benefit from. Oh, thank you for that. Being a black American, I can relate to the essence of many of the topics. For me, the common denominator is the experience of being othered. It is interesting to examine the intersectionality of this common denominator. Anyway, please keep the podcast coming. Fighting. Oh, and then she adds, oh, by the way, Becky, the next time Cedric is being ignored when you two are out together, speak up and request that the person ask their questions directly to Cedric. Maybe I should carry on like a sign or something, right? Like a sign with a big arrow. <laughs> They're talking. I'll just hold it up. Yeah. Pointing this way. The funny thing is that that literally happened, I think, the day after we recorded that. I just point at you, right? Uh, yeah. Like we were in... Uh, I'm so used to the time in the radio where you can't like oh yeah, any yeah. Brands, but we're in Uniqlo uh -huh. we're in Uniqlo not sponsored yeah uh -huh. and that literally happened and yeah. I was just like oh my god. you were gosh. so mad yeah uh, yeah I'll bring around my, my arrow sign from now on Good but advice. she continues <laughs> just as Cedric would not stand by quietly if you are being made to feel uncomfortable demonstrate the same solidarity doing so will also prevent you from being caught in the middle so to speak a long time ago a boyfriend of mine spontaneously did the same thing for me when I was shopping for a car my boyfriend knew that I actually had about the same level of technical expertise and financial savvy as he did, so it was not like I needed him to decide or negotiate for me. The salesman slowly connected the dots that each time my boyfriend insisted that questions be asked directly to me, the promise of a sale circled closer down the toilet. Ultimately, I did not buy the car, but I left the car lot feeling confident and respected. All the best, Claudia. Oh, thanks, Claudia. That is really great. Uh, yeah, I will be sure to uh, stay on my toes for that and make sure I give you the place to speak. Thanks. Yeah, you're welcome. But in a car lot, um, when we buy a car, you can do it. I'm a handle. <laughs> you can I'm handle, a handle it. I'm sorry, Claudia. I'm not as, you know, financially savvy <laughs> as you are in that regard. All right. Well, anyway, if you have any other stories or comments or things you'd like to share with us, you can always get in touch at the Happy Project at Gmail. Dot com. Be sure to like, subscribe, leave a comment below if you're listening to this podcast on the YouTube channel. And uh, as always, we'll see you guys next week. We are The Happy Project. I'm so proud of you. Really? Yeah. Wow. You did such a great job. No, I was just blah, 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 blah. No, blah, blah, you blah. were wonderful.